Welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Today we are continuing our series through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have your Bibles and would like to turn there, we will be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 11. This week is our seventh part of the Chasing the Wind series where we're exploring Ecclesiastes and what our life really and truly means. We're going to start reading at chapter 11, verse one. Send out your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will get it back. Divide your means seven ways, or even eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. When clouds are full, they empty rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Whoever observes the wind will not sow, and whoever regards the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know how the breath comes to the bones in the mother's womb, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening do not let your hands be idle, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet." And, at, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Even those who live for many years should rejoice in them all. Yet let them remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, young man, while you are young, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Follow the inclination of your heart and the desire of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Banish anxiety from your mind and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Reading this chapter at face value, it seems as if it's just a collection of unrelated pieces of advice and wisdom. The writer goes from investment strategies to the mysteries of creation to agricultural advice to celebrating youth and admonishing anxiety. But after six weeks studying Ecclesiastes together, we know better than that, don't we? We can assume that Kohelet, the ancient sage and scribe sharing the collective wisdom of a culture and time with us is trying to get a specific message across. So what might that message be? Well, to get to the message of the whole, I want us to start at the end. (laughs) The last verse of the chapter says, banish anxiety from your mind and put away pain from your body, 
for youth and the dawn, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity anxiety pain vanity meaninglessness vapor a life that is here today but not forever Anxiety is a popular word these days, and before I go further talking about anxiety, I do want to give a disclaimer. There is a difference between anxiety and anxiety disorders. There's a difference between feeling anxious and having anxiety. Sometimes anxiety can become so chronic that we need help untangling it. If this kind of anxiety starts turning into depression or makes us wonder if our life is, has any worth or meaning at all, then it is time, or probably really past time, to seek out counsel from a friend, a pastor, a therapist, or even all three. God calls trained professionals to serve and to help us in these situations. And I encourage you to get help when you need it. But the kind of anxiety that we're going to be talking about today, the kind that I believe Kohela is speaking to, is different than a chronic mental health concern or a diagnosed disorder. Anxiety, worry, fear. These are all normal human emotions that we confront daily. Feeling anxious when something, is, when something anxiety-provoking or fear-inducing comes into our lives is normal and can even sometimes be a good thing. This kind of anxiety or fear can be a sign that something important to us or someone we love is being threatened and we need to take action to protect that person or thing. And did you know that there is actually even a thing, such a thing as positive anxiety? It's what psychologists call good stress. It's the kind of stress that makes us take action. Positive anxiety brings excitement the first time you ride a bike without training wheels or dive into the deep end or go on your first overnight trip to Passport Kids or Youth Fall Retreat. This anxiety encourages us to study hard for a test. It keeps us on track with projects at work, it's what we feel when we're on the verge of making a life-changing decision that we know is the right thing, but we're still a little nervous about it. This kind of anxiety helps remind us that we are alive and that we have big, important, exciting things to do in the world. But we all know that there is also bad stress negative anxiety, the kind that we often can't shake when we feel like we're about to fail at something life-changing, the kind of anxiety that keeps us up at night worrying and mulling over things that are totally out of our control. This kind of anxiety can make us feel trapped and exhausted. This kind of anxiety can even bring us pain. I believe that this is the anxiety that Kohelet is telling us to banish. The kind of anxiety that can keep us from living our lives fully and freely. In our world today, there are many causes of anxiety. 
I know we don't like to talk about it, but the truth is that we just went through a global pandemic. And goodness, did we all feel anxiety from this event in one way or another. Some of us are still feeling it, and we're still learning the effect that this event has had on us and on our society as a whole. We may be anxious about losing our job or starting a new one, anxious about whether or not the treatment will work or how we're gonna pay for it, anxious about how safe our kids are gonna be when we send them back to school in a few weeks, anxious about the rift in our relationship with a spouse or a friend, wondering if it could ever be repaired, anxious about whether or not all that we've been working towards will actually be worth it in the end. Anxious about moving to college and making friends in a new place, hoping that we made the right decision for our future. And speaking of decisions, so much anxiety comes with deciding what our next step in life is. Is it time to marry the person that I love and change both of our lives forever? Is it time to start trying to have kids and change both of our lives forever? <laughs> if we do start trying and it doesn't work, what does that mean and what do we do then? Is it time to buy a new house or find a new job? Is it time to retire? If I do retire, will I still have a purpose in life? Will I find new goals? There is so much anxiety around us and our media and our culture continually keep that anxiety stirred up. It is so hard for us not to focus on our anxieties and worries. But it seems like that's exactly what our friend Kohelet is telling us to do. Of course, we're gonna be affected by things in the world and we're gonna worry for our children, our loved ones, our jobs, but there is a difference between noticing and acknowledging fear and allowing that fear to take over our lives. Banish anxiety from your mind. Put away pain from your body. This is what Kohelet is telling us to do. And I'm sure we would all like to do that, right? And it sounds simple enough, but really it's not simple at all. Or maybe it is. If we pay attention to the passage leading up to this final instruction, we might realize that Kohelet was telling us how to banish anxiety the entire time. If you remember at the beginning of the chapter, we read the, we read the instruction to send out your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will get it back. Divide your means seven ways or even eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. In our Western, modern, free market American minds, we might wonder what maritime bread trading and diversifying investments has to do with letting go of anxiety. But commentator William P. Brown challenges us to look at these verses in a different way. He poses that the writer is instead of speaking about trading and investing is actually speaking about hospitality. 
giving freely and sharing what we have with others. This makes a lot more sense in the context of the whole scripture, but especially in the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. Earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, we read over and over again the instruction of enjoying your bread. And in context, our passage today suggests that part of the pleasure, part of the enjoyment is not only receiving sustenance, but in offering it to others. Instead of worrying about diversifying our monetary investments and stressing over the returns of our success, we can instead find joy in diversifying our stewardship. The more we give and share with the wider community, the more joy we find in helping others and participating in God's work in the world. There is joy to be found when we shift our perspective away from me and towards others. Even the next seemingly unconnected pieces of scripture about clouds emptying their water to the earth when they are full and a tree falling to the ground when it dies can actually be seen as acts of hospitality, of giving what they have for the larger world. The earth needs rain, so the clouds give water. The clouds pour themselves out for the sake of the land, the plants, the animals who need the water to grow and survive. The tree falls, whether to the south or the north, and lies there. But the tree doesn't stay empty for long. The moss finds a new fertile home on that log. The tree gets hollowed out and a family of raccoons find a safe home inside. Worms move under it to burrow their tunnels. The tree gives its life for the sake of the forest, for its neighbors around it. Creation teaches us this lesson, that to find joy and purpose in life, We must let go of what we've grown and stored for the sake of others. This chapter goes on to point out the miracle of life. How do the bones of a child find breath but with the breath of God? Even this verse points to the beauty of letting go and being a host to the miraculous work of God. The reminder of this miracle of life, of letting go of control and allowing our bodies to do what they know how to do as we host the growing life is a sacrifice that we were created to make. The giving of ourselves as parents and parent figures, not just in pregnancy, is a hospitality that brings so much meaning to our lives meaning that we can find in opening our homes for fostering or adoption, meaning that we can find in being a safe place for our friends and families, kids who need a place to land on hard days, meaning that we can find in sharing our time, mentoring and coaching and being there for young people who need a steady and loving presence. 
We can rejoice in our days lived when we know that they are filled with community and shared with loved ones. This is what Kohelet is trying to tell us. This is what he's been trying to tell us the whole time through the whole book of Ecclesiastes, that we've been focusing on the wrong things. That it's time to shift our perspective. If we think about it, so much of our anxiety and fear are centered around thoughts of ourselves. My work, my kids, my spouse, my relationships, my body, my health, my success, my failure, my fill in the blank here. At a certain level, it's normal to think about these things. But it's another thing to try to be so in control of everything around us that we lose sight of what life is really about. And the truth is, whether we like to admit it or not, our fear and our insecurity and our worries boil down to an effort to control things, to control how my work is going to turn out, to control who my kids will grow up to be, to control what my spouse does and how much he or she can give me, to control how well my body performs for me, to control what they think of me. And here is what our wise sage is reminding us of. It's the thing that we really hate to be reminded of. That it is not about us and that we are not in control. The passage says, in the morning sow your seed and at evening do not let your hands be idle. For if you do not know which will prosper, this or that or whether both alike will be good. No matter how many seeds we sow, we cannot control the outcome of what will grow. No matter how much work we do at home or at work, we don't know how things are going to tur turn out. <clears throat> this line about sowing seeds reminds me of another passage in the Bible. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six, starting at verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more Are you not of more value than they? We don't always think about how Jesus, his disciples, and the hundreds and sometimes thousands of people listening to his teachings were mostly Jews. They were raised in the synagogues. They would have studied and heard the ancient wisdom texts. They were probably very familiar with Kohelet's teachings. When preaching this section of his sermon and talking about sowing seeds, there's a good chance that the listeners would have recalled the words of the ancient teacher. They may lean in a little bit from their place on the ground, wondering how Jesus's teaching would line up with that of their ancestors. Jesus continues saying, and can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus here is reminding his listeners of this command that we find in Ecclesiastes. Do not worry. Banish anxiety. Change your perspective to see the bigger picture of the work that God is doing in the world. In other parts of the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the Gospels, we know that Jesus teaches hospitality. He tells us to care for the least of these, to go the extra mile, to sell what we have and give the proceeds to the poor. He tells us to pay attention to the world around us and do what we can to meet the needs of others and to trust that God will take care of the rest. Getting a new perspective, looking outside of ourselves to the needs of others gives us a brand new meaning in life. Hospitality is renewing and life-giving in more ways than we can express in one sermon. We can probably all think of a person in our lives who is great at hospitality. Images come to our minds of dinner dinner party at a friend's house or holidays with family, where everyone is eating, telling stories, laughing, enjoying life together. Usually that joyful experience had less to do with what food was served or how clean the person's house was or what perfect place settings they had, and had more to do with how the host made you feel. In her book, Bread and Wine, Shauna Nyquist says, the heart of hospitality is about creating space for someone to feel seen and heard and loved. It's about declaring your table a safe zone, a place of warmth and nourishment. Hospitality is about giving others the dignity and the love that they deserve. This kind of connection with people allows space for joy to grow freely and without judgment. We can take pleasure in each other's company. We can be host for the kind of authentic growth that God desires for all of us. When we freely give of ourselves, our homes, our money, and our other resources without expecting anything in return, we find that we are filled with feelings of peace, joy, and satisfaction that are deeper and last longer than our pride in our other successes. When we're focused on others and unselfishly serving their needs without expecting anything in response, when we can take a step back, let it go, and make it about them instead of about me, 
we find that our anxiety and worries slip away. We can banish anxiety by leaning into our community, giving and accepting hospitality and trusting that God, the one who created it all, has a firm grip on our lives. Do you know who I've noticed is really good at this hospitality thing? Children and teenagers. I find it interesting that after the instructions of giving and hosting and letting go of the outcomes, the passage finds its way to talking about the joys of youth, the cheerful hearts of young people. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I spend a lot of time with young people. And I think that they really can teach us a thing or two about giving freely and inviting others in. A couple of weeks ago, I was at the pool with my family. My mom's family has the chance to get together once or twice a year. And this summer, my cousin opened her home to us to eat and catch up. And then we all went to their neighborhood pool together. When we got to the pool, there was a mom with her two young daughters swimming and playing in the water. The girls had their floaties on and were taking turns jumping into the shallow end with mom. Each of them had a Barbie in her hand, holding it tightly as they jumped into the water. And I noticed that there were a few more Barbies laying around their chairs. Our family got in, we found a spot a little ways away in the shallow end to float and talk and cool down in the water. We were trying not to interrupt this sweet little family who was playing. After a few minutes, the older of the two girls, who was maybe about six years old, came up behind me and said something. I didn't hear what she said, so I turned around and I asked her to repeat it. She proudly held up the Barbie in her hand and said, this is my Barbie. She's Malibu Barbie. Do you want to play with her? I told her, thank you for sharing, but I don't want to take her Barbie while she's playing with them. She said, oh, it's okay. I have a lot of Barbies. (laughs) My sister is holding one too. That one is Skipper, and we have even more. See, this one has a bathing suit on. It was about that time that her mom came over and got her and brought her back to the other side of the pool. Her mom didn't know that hanging out with other people's kids is kind of a passion of mine. (laughs) But it struck me, this little girl, how excited she was to share her Barbie with me, a complete stranger. And it wasn't just any Barbie, it was Malibu Barbie with a swimsuit and everything. The joy that she shared with me, a complete stranger, as she told me their names and invited me to play with them, what an act of hospitality. While we were at passport camp last month, I saw this hospitality in our students as well. They were all happy to spend their time serving Passport's community partners on our mission days. They actually wanted to spend even more time in the 98 degree sun, working even longer than what our schedule allowed time for. They showed up. They were ready to spend their time and energy helping others in the community. 
and they got so much more work done than the leaders at the mission sites thought would be possible in two days. Our students loved sharing their gifts and abilities with others. And not only that, but some of our middle school girls kind of adopted a girl from another church into our group. About a day and a half in, everywhere I turned around, this girl was there. She was getting ready ready with us for the decade dance, eating dinner at our table, sitting with us in worship, cheering on our students during the variety show. A couple of times, I even stopped and asked her if if her church chaperones knew where she was because she was spending so much time with us. You see, this girl was from a much smaller church. She didn't have a lot of friends with her, and she needed some friends to make her camp experience all that the camp experience is supposed to be. And so our girls took her in as one of their own. They shared their stories. They shared their swag for the decade dance. They invited her to our table and to our row of seats in worship. They made her feel welcome. And they made sure that she had a good time. Their friendship and hospitality added some joy to her camp experience. And I know that it added joy to their experience as well. There are a lot of things that I think we can learn from our children and students. This next generation has its own challenges and struggles and culture that we all have to get used to sometimes. But when we look past that, at the heart of who these people are and what they're made of, we see humans who aren't afraid to go all in, to give it all for the sake of another. Whether it's sharing a Barbie or serving community partners, or including a new friend into the group, they do it without thinking twice, and they do it all the way. They find joy, and they share joy, and they bring joy. And this joy and hospitality is something that we need to continue to encourage in in them. We need to encourage it even more than academic achievement or financial success. We need to encourage this God-given nature of fun, excitement, and inclusion. And maybe if we encourage it more in them, it will even start to rub off on us. Because we all can do better at letting things go, at enjoying the world that is created around us, at trusting that God is taking care of what only God can take care of. If we didn't need this reminder, then it wouldn't be a theme that we find over and over again in scripture. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, this is the point that Kohelet has been driving home We keep focusing on the wrong things. Life is not about our success, our work, our earnings, our striving, our toil. We weren't created to work and worry and be miserable. We were created to be in communion with God and in community with others and to have fun while we do it. When we can shift our perspective away from our worries and what we're trying to control 
and towards what we have to give and share, we find joy. When we focus more on diversifying our stewardship than diversifying our investments, we find fulfillment. When we let go of the outcomes and lean into whatever God has in store, we find peace. When we allow our short lives to be defined by opening doors, helping others, and hosting those in need, we find purpose. Now, of course, this doesn't guarantee that life will be perfect. Gohella reminds us that pain will come. Darkness will be there. There will still be anxieties. There will still be pain. But this new outlook provided by Ecclesiastes helps us remember that it's all temporary. Vanity. Vapor. It's here for now, but not forever. So why not spend the short time we have here focusing on the goodness of God and choosing joy and sharing that goodness and joy with others?